0: speak the charm of may charm of may charm of may charm of may charm of, may, charm of, may, charm of may. there will come a time on the planet earth when science and technology will be long forgotten when wizards will rule the, the world this is the arnamancy podcast exploring esotericism tarot magic and the occult i am reverend eric Welcome back to the Arnamancy podcast. This is a solo show, and I'm going to be talking about uh, a topic that has been on my mind for a really long time. I, I, it's it's about spirituality and where your spiritual practices or esoteric practices intersect with the real world, and when they do intersect with the real world, what sort of um, effect and Uh, manifestation, I guess they sort of have. Um, And this isn't just about like, you know, using magic to get money or something like that. But this is more about the idea of like an active uh, external spirituality where your spiritual practices create sort of lasting effects in your life. And this can be uh, as simple as making you a better person or as complex as I guess these are both complex. It it can be uh, like making you a better person or like, you know, bringing additional skills into your life. I've talked about this a little bit in the past. I've talked about it with uh, in the episode on Musar. um, And I talked about it with uh, Andrew Watt in our episode on like future proofing wizards and that sort of thing. Um, And I want to say that like this is, it's sort of all started developing out of, I guess, kind of an epiphany or realization I had long, long ago when I was still sort of a beginner in all of this, Uh, conversations that I'd had with um, my really good friend, Scott Carter, who is a Freemason and um, and an old friend of mine and now uh, also a priest in a liberal Catholic church. Um, but we talked about sort of like what good is spirituality if it doesn't um, bring change into the world it doesn't matter how mystical you are how spiritual you are if you are in contact with the world and that contact doesn't become more positive so I want to talk about like contrasting this sort of spirituality with like more passive or um, avoidance type spirituality and so there's there's definitely whole schools that kind of remove you from the world um probably uh in, probably the most obvious would be stuff like um becoming a monk or a nun or something and going to live in some sort of monastery apart from the world uh another re- really good example would be um for instance uh gnosticism with its uh Sort of hostility towards the world of matter and hostility towards the body and how hostile and just sort of like this idea that matter in the material world is contrary to uh, to spiritual progress. Um, you see this a little bit in the Corpus Hermeticum too, where there's a, there's even a passage that some says something like, "If you don't hate your body, then you're never going to become enlightened." Um, you know, so so sort of like. The hermit. The hermit would be a really good example of this. Um, you, you know, running away from the world in order to seek spiritual salvation or spiritual enlightenment. Uh, and you see that you see this myth all over the place. It, it happens in both the e, the East and the West. Okay, so and, and I'm not. I don't want to say that these are bad or that they don't work or that they aren't going to actually bring you spiritual enlightenment. I'm going to talk about uh, other methods or other things that we do. Or can do that, um, can help us that sort of give us skills that we can use in the world. So, let's start with probably the easiest example, which is uh, meditation. Meditation takes all sorts of different forms, and you know, we have sort of like science to back up kind of like brain changes and things that it'll do to you know, alter, you know, whatever. I have no idea how to talk about that sort of stuff, but. I do know that like when you're a practiced meditator, it changes how you act towards other people. It helps you remain calm. It can help people control their temper. It can uh, increase the amount of empathy you have for others. Uh, And it can teach you to sort of slow down and observe your own mind so that you don't necessarily rush to judgment or make poor, snap decisions. Uh, Okay, the second example is a little bit more complicated. The second example that I want to talk about, and that's Freemasonry. So Freemasonry, um, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about what it is. It's a fraternal organization that teaches a system of morality and ethics, but it also has a really strong esoteric and occult element to it. And a lot of esotericists uh, might be drawn to Freemasonry um, and go through initiation, and they probably get a lot of really deep spiritual, or if they work at it, they can get a lot of really deep spiritual um Insight out of uh the Masonic uh, rituals and Masonic symbolism, but at the same time, when they become Freemasons, they are exposed to a very active and public sort of spirituality Freemasonry sort of teaches its um, members that it's their duty to kind of to to lead by example to be good and virtuous in their uh, intercourse with the world, so that um, through that, they can um, help other people be better. Uh, and this sort of uh, manifests in a number of diff- different ways. you know, um, Masons learn how to uh, interact with people that they disagree with. Masons learn how to listen to differing opinions and to uh, hold respect um, for other people even when they are different. Uh, in fact, a lot of a lot of occultists who join Masonic lodges will, uh, have their first exposure to things like um, uh, public works or, uh, you know, not public works that's that's the wrong term uh, public service though so, um, you know, a lot of Masonic Lodges have charity work that they do or they have like soup kitchens that they help or they have educational programs that they fund or they do various charity works uh, and this is all sort of in line with the teachings of Freemasonry and um, and it might be the first exposure that a lot of occultists actually get to the sort of thing where you're like, okay, you have this practice. Now show us that it's actually working. Okay, now, um, so that's sort of an example of a uh, of a of a practical public spirituality that is um, geared around, uh, you know, ethics and morality. <coughs> But now let's talk about something else. And this is a practice that gives you a usable skill while also being something that can um, lead you towards some sort of spiritual revelation. And that's the art of memory. Uh, The art of memory I've talked about in previous podcasts as well. You can probably look up my talks with, uh, I don't know, Dan Attrell and probably Andrew Watt. But the art of memory is usually the method of um, encoding memories in your mind using images for locations and concepts and things like that. So this, as an esoteric practice, it improves your visualization, it improves ritual, um, it improves your ability to work with magical images, and it also improves your absorption of knowledge. Uh, Occultists can use the art of memory to, uh, to achieve or they can try to achieve pan Sophia or kind of like a universal knowledge or a universal understanding of things um, through some, through the process of anamnesis, which is the, which is the platonic belief that uh, new knowledge is the soul contacting sort of a divine knowledge source, a divine um, wellspring of wisdom and, and such and such like that. Um, and it's a really, really powerful tool. I, I've been practicing the art of memory for a long time, and I think it's it's beautiful and amazing. Um, but at the same time, the art of memory can be used in the mundane world. So this is a case where you have a an esoteric um, skill, a skill that you generate or learn through occult means, that then in turn brings you a, a practical skill in the world. Um, the art of memory can be used to memorize shopping lists and memorize all kinds of stuff the art of memory can be used to enhance your ability to be a public speaker to uh, argue your case effectively to um to be more eloquent to be more uh you know to be to, it increases your ability to communicate ideas and things like that uh so so that's 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 that example uh, that was a poor conclusion um solo podcasts are hard if you're not used to having conversations with nobody these can be really they're they're tricky um all right so for my next example let's talk about musar so musar is a uh jewish system of ethics and it is geared around this concept that in order to uh move closer to the divine source you need to take on um, attributes of the divine and this is um, probably best uh outlined in uh, uh Moses Cordovero's book the palm tree of devora um, and in this book he lists 13 attributes of god and sort of uh walks through like what they mean and what they are and and uh and then in, in later generations, some um, uh, uh, Musar writers uh, developed ways to uh, practice and increase each of these virtues and to emphasize them in your own life. Uh, Musar, in a way, is kind of like a... It's almost sort of like um, an exoteric form of Kabbalah, where you look at Kabbalah and it's full of just, like, very, very complicated mysticism and um, incredible—you know—feats of of mental acuity and visualization and transformations. And you know, it's difficult. It's hard, and not everybody can do it. Not everybody will do it. And it's—and uh, I—I don't blame them. It's—it's it's a very complicated system. Um, but at the same time, uh, everybody needs to be. Needs to have access to sort of like the methods or results of Kabbalah. Um, you know, one of the one of the core themes in Kabbalah is this uh, concept of Tikkun Olam, or the um, the repairing of eternity or the healing of the world. And it's said that uh, the practitioner, the Kabbalist, only gets to practice Tikkun Olam once they reach a certain level of righteousness. Um, and this, this sort of level of righteousness idea is reflected or repeated in, in different areas or different um, places in, in Kabbalah. Um, you know, for instance, for practical Kabbalah or the use of Kabbalah for talismans and magic and stuff, it's always sort of talking about, like, you need to be righteous, you need to make sure that your soul is working well and that you're kind of, like, in tune with the divine will. And Musar Musar affords a way to do that. Musar gives you uh, basically step-by-step instructions on like, here's how you increase your virtue. Now in the outside world, uh, a lot of the Musar practices actually involve interacting with other people. Um, for instance, one of the Musar, uh, characteristics that you, that you practice is honor. And, um, and part of the message is that you need to honor all living things or honor all humans, you know? So, So that involves, you know, greeting people on the street or greeting people when you see them or uh, noticing the existence of others even when you might not otherwise do so. Um, So in this way, Musar takes this sort of um, Kabbalistic righteousness, this, uh, this idea of turning yourself into an image of God and says, you're going to do this by... Uh, being out in the world and interacting with the world in a very specific way, it increases your your practice of social virtue and moral virtue in public, uh, and I guess is sort of like a it's sort of like an ultimate expression of civility. Um, all right, and so the last one, and this is sort of a the, my last example, and I think this is a an interesting one that probably every every magician and witch and and occultist has come across and that's uh the sort of like arts and crafts side of of the occult when you start uh down a path there's always going to be things that you have to do or things that you have to build or uh, i know a lot of people buy stuff but just as many people uh, make their own magic tools or make their own magic garb or you know, blend their own incense, or they make oils, and they work with essential oils, or they do stuff with herbs. And a lot of this is um, is actually practical, applicable knowledge. You know, um, for instance, I sew stuff a lot, uh, which I which I'm sure everybody's heard me talk about. I sew tarot bags. I've sewn. I sewed my magic robes. Um, I sew all kinds of things, and uh, it's very possible that I would never have. Uh, dove back into sewing as deeply as I have if I hadn't um, been studying the occult. Uh, and this is something that has given me a really practical, like, real-world skill. At the same time, I've learned to do stuff like bake and things. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm not good at it, but uh, but, it, but I still uh, I, I cook and I bake and I do things like that. Um, and you see this a lot on the internet. People... Uh, learn how to make jewelry or people learn how to uh, make potions and teas and stuff. Uh, People learn art. Like the number of occult artists out there is fascinating. And if you go back to my alchemical bromance and listen to my interview with the Seven... uh, What's her last name? Seven Bremner, I believe? Uh, Anyhow, like she basically learned how to paint and became this incredible painter Um, because of her esoteric practice and you can see it like in her work like she shares her experience and her knowledge through the beauty of her art Uh, and there are a lot of other uh, occult artists out there doing the same thing tarot artists are a great example um and uh oh and another great example of this blacksmithing uh troll cunning forge for instance my 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 good friend Marcus up in uh, Washington, he makes magic stuff and he does it through blacksmithing. And he's basically learned blacksmithing to express this element of his, um, esoteric work. These are all examples of ways that your, um, that your esoteric, uh, path should be impacting the world around you. Uh, especially if you are the sort of person who's going to be listening to podcasts, because that means you're probably living in the real world amidst society and you are not um, retreated into a monastery, Uh, unless I'm wrong. There might be, like, I I would be tickled pink if there were monasteries out there that were, like, podcast monasteries. So if you hear this and you are in some sort of, like, monastic retreat... Please let me know. I would love to um, I would love to know that that's something that's happening. Um, and I know that you know uh, there are also working monasteries and monks that that operate out in the world and stuff. but I want to list these examples and sort of give this stuff because I think it's really important. It's important that we don't use uh, the occult as an excuse to run away. You know, a lot of occultists deal with social anxiety or tend to be kind of on the fringes of society and it's easy for us to uh you know latch on to that kind of ostracism and run away I did it for years um you know you you hide and you stay away from other people and you think you know nobody's going to understand me and blah 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 but we really have to come to terms with the fact that even if you're not an occultist nobody everybody has that feeling that nobody understands them and um and instead, what we should be doing is looking to improve ourselves and bridge those sorts of gaps through both the development of new skills, uh, even if, you know, through the occult or, or esoteric practice, um, and in addition, I think that it's important for all of us to take a really good look at the way that our esoteric practice impacts our ethical footprint and our practice of, you know, um, virtuous living, whatever that set of virtues is. I'm not going to try to define for you what virtue is, um, but if you have a spiritual practice and if you have any sort of religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs attached to that, there's going to be some level of, like, eth- ethical responsibility that you have to the world. Um, exploring that is a key... Element of uh, of an occult practice. All right, I've returned to my notes. I've returned to my notes because I have uh, things that I wrote down for the conclusion, and I want to see how far off base I got as I was sort of rambling along there. In conclusion, I, I honestly I don't know necessarily what to call this this concept. I uh, I wanted to call it something like practical spirituality or effective spirituality or pragmatic occultism. Or something of that nature but it's all about how it impacts the world around you Um, and this is how it impacts the world around you not through the use of thaumaturgy or, or magical spells or anything like that but how it impacts the world around you just in your your interface with the world like do you have new skills do you have new practices that have improved the way that you deal with the people around you and situations in your life and have these come from your occult practice like is your occult practice actually giving you new tools to deal with the world and how difficult and crappy it is and you should uh you should pay attention to this if you feel like it hasn't happened yet you should maybe be looking for opportunities for it to happen look for ways that you can mix in some arts and crafts look for ways in which you can adapt your, your daily meditation to, you know, bring new sense of calm or problem solving skills. Uh, and I really want to know, like, uh, have you noticed this happening in your occult practice in your esoteric practice? If so, what skills have you learned and what new insights do you think you have? Please, uh, please get back to me and give me some feedback on this, uh, tweet at me or, Leave a comment um, on the on my website on this episode, or drop me an email and let's uh, let's have a conversation. Let's see how weird, um, let's see how weird some of your reactions are, and let's see if there are maybe new skills that we should be sharing with each other. Um, this has been uh my first solo episode with my new podcasting equipment. I hope that it's well received. And if it's not well received, I'm probably still gonna do another one. Ha 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 thank you for listening to the Arnamancy Podcast. You can find me online at Arnamancy.com where you can schedule a tarot reading or peruse the Arnamancy blog. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. If you like this podcast, support it for just $1 a month through Patreon at patreon.com slash